have them up here on the screen as well. Acts chapter 26, 24 through 29 will be our main um, verses, but we'll read some other things. Um, today I, I want to talk about uh, Agrippa's dilemma. Agrippa's dilemma. And some of you know already who uh, King Agrippa is. Uh, some of you may have never heard this man's name before, um, but we're going to know more about him today when we leave. Uh, we're going to know about the dilemma that he faces in Acts chapter 26 and, and ultimately the decision that he makes and, and how we too are faced with the, the same dilemma that he, is, uh, that he faced this day many hundreds of thousands of years ago um, when Paul was here in Festus' court uh, once again for, uh, just pleading his case. Uh, we face a similar dilemma. Um, saved or unsaved, we face a similar dilemma that Agrippa faced here in this moment in this scripture. Uh, we'll read here Acts chapter 26, verse 24 uh, through 29. We're thankful for the book of Acts, for the lessons that it's taught us, lessons that it leaves behind with us, and the lessons that it still has for us the next couple, next couple of weeks. Amen. Um, so let's read here. It says, Now as he thus made his defense, he being uh, Paul, uh, once again, it says, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. But speak the words of truth and reason. But the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. Since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Amen. So, um, just to, to make us aware of what's going on here, uh, we understood last week when we read in Acts chapter 25 that, that Festus has risen, risen to power here in this, in this territory of the Roman Empire and, and he's seeking to please the Jews and brought Paul up once again uh, for trial's sake, basically, and uh, found nothing wrong with him. Uh, but Paul understood that he was not going to be released in this situation because he just understood the politics of what was going on. He realized what was going on and what cards Festus held and what cards he was willing to play. And he said, I, I, you know, I, I submit my case basically I, I, to, to Caesar. I want the highest power in the Roman Empire and really in the world at that time um, that was known. Uh, he said, I, I want to submit my case to him and we're just going to leave it in his hands. Right? Um, but Festus, here in the first part of this uh, 26th chapter, he has a visitor, King Agrippa, which uh, was, held a similar position as Festus over like the northern parts of that region, once Lebanon, and, and, then, and then he is kind of expanded as he, he rose in power. And he came to visit him, and, and Festus said, I, I have uh, a prisoner that is going to go before Caesar. But he said, I really don't even know what to tell Caesar uh, about this man. Basically, he's saying, I don't know what charges to place against him to send him a letter to Caesar. He's like, I don't want Caesar to think I'm just going to waste his time. I want him to realize, you know, what's going on in this situation. He said, would you listen? He said, Agrippa, you've been here a long and I have. You understand the Jewish culture a whole lot better. We know that Agrippa uh, II, which is who we read right here, and Agrippa I, his, um, his, his father, um, both had a, a, a great desire to know about this Jewish culture and were very wise in those things. And Agrippa said, yes, bring him, uh, bring him out for me to hear. And, and he begins to explain found upon things that we'll get to here in a moment. Um, but then we get to this point where Paul is given his defense and Festus says he's crazy uh, for the things that he's saying. Um, and Agrippa, uh, we see that Agrippa acknowledges some of the things, right? Agrippa knows the things that Paul's talking about, um, but Agrippa does not make this final step that, that 
Paul would have desired for him to in that moment. Right? But let's let's get into this as we look at Agrippa's dilemma. I first want to acknowledge and look at the power of God's word in this scripture. Right? The power of God's word. We often may think that um, we are the catalyst of change in some person's life. And their response is dependent on how well we speak or how persuasive we are in giving our arguments. But that is is not so when it comes to a Christian relaying the truth of the gospel. It is not solely and really any way dependent upon how well I speak, how persuasive I am, how highly I speak of certain things, how well I get my case across. It is solely dependent upon the power of God's Word. Change occurs when one embraces the truth of God's Word. We see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. It is alive. It is impactful. It makes change occur in the world that we live in. We have seen that from the very beginning of time where we read in in history of of the Bible and history all over of when the Jewish people began to collect these laws in the Torah. that The Torah began to change and alter the way that they lived their life. And as the prophets began to prophesy about the Messiah, about the coming Lord, about the coming Savior that would deliver them out of the bondage of this world, it once again begins to change the way Jewish people see the society and the culture and the world around them and it continues to expand to where we today should be entirely and eternally changed by the power of God's Word when we embrace it, when we hold it as truth, hold it as important, hold it as above anything else, it does have the effect that changes our life. Right. Let's look a few verses before we actually start reading. Acts chapter 26, verses 22 through 23. It says, Therefore, having obtained help from God. This is Paul kind of closing down his case here. His last thing that he says, Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great. He's saying, to you up in the seats of power and to the servants over here with the, with the cups of water. I'm witnessing to all of you today, saying no other things than those with the prophets and Moses said would come. He once again is referencing back to their established word that they have, that they believe and fully entrust is the word of God, right? There's not a doubt amongst the Sadducees or the Pharisees. Even Agrippa, in his understanding of Jewish culture, knows that this is how we uphold the scriptures as the word of God. It says that the Christ would suffer. He's talking about the prophecies. That he would be the first to rise from the dead. The prophecies. And would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul comes forth, and as he's closing down his case, he leans into the power of the Word of God. Amen. The power of the Word of God. Understanding that it is not him that will change anybody's mind. It is not his words that will persuade anybody. It's not his ability to dictate or or to eloquently argue or debate these things that will help get his case across the line. It is only by the power of the Word of God that these things come. He goes on and he tells a group we just read a minute ago. He says, I believe. He says, you believe the prophets. Do you not, Agrippa? He says, I believe. I know that you believe the prophets. He said, I know that you believe the Word of God. The Word of God. Like Agrippa, 
We are confronted with the truth of God's Word. Sometimes daily. In our private study. Uh, Maybe it's every week when we come to church. We are confronted by the truth of God's Word. And we are always asked to decide which way we would go with. If we would embrace the truth of God's Word or if we will ignore it. If we will step forward to it or if we will shirk back away from it. But the power of God's Word demands a response. It demands us to choose, will I embrace it and accept it, or will I deny it and shirk away from it? This is not only true when salvation is offered. This is in the daily life of a Christian follower of, a, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. We choose daily. Will we embrace what the Word is telling us today, or will we shirk away from it? Will we move up to it, or will we hide from it and ignore it? We are called to choose daily. Right. To take up that cross and follow Him. This isn't a daily decision to be saved or to embrace the salvation, but a daily decision to follow Him and to honor and hold true to the Word of God. For some, this is a call to salvation. But others, it's just in specific areas of our life that we are failing to submit wholeheartedly to Christ. We must heed the power of the Word of God. And embrace it as truth Amen. and as right you, and as holy. But Agrippa here is confronted by the power of God. And his response is, is almost, is almost. Despite being moved by Paul's words, here's what King Agrippa responds. He says, then King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now some scholars believe he was just speaking sarcastically, but neither here nor there, he was not embracing the truth of Scripture. No matter how close he got, he did not go across that line. He did not accept salvation. He did not accept Christ's gift of salvation. This highlights the danger of being close to the truth, yet failing to embrace the truth. Being close to God, yet failing to embrace God. Being close to the divine, yet failing to embrace the divine. We have to embrace what God has given when we respond to the Word. Right? We respond to the Word. Now, what we have today is I am no Martha Stewart and Betty Crocker. But I'm going to make a cake for us today. Esther's birthday was just a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, something like that. So we're going to make Esther a cake. And we know most of us have made a cake of some kind. Maybe some of us are gifted and we can make it from scratch. right? And we can go and we can get the flour and we can get the sugar. And we can do it from scratch. Some of us, like me, um, have a hard time doing a boxed cake and it coming out anyway decent. Okay, But that's what we're going to try to do today. We know you're going to have some eggs. You're going to have your mix. You'll have a little bit of oil. right? You'll put it in there. And we'll have a little bit of water. We'll put it in there. And then we mix it, right? Some of you have a blender, you fancy people. Some of you use a whisk. I usually use a fork, but I wanted to look at least like I knew a little bit of what I was doing, so I brought the whisk today, okay? But we mix it. We make sure the egg yolks are broken up. We don't want any real dry places in it where it's just going to be just a 
a big bite of flour and cake mix. No, we don't want that. We want it mixed up really good where that color comes through. Get all of it mixed in. And, you know, we like cake. And we'll sit down and eat it. And we celebrate, use it to celebrate all kinds of different things. Birthdays and anniversaries and, and different things. Sometimes we, we eat it just because we woke up that morning. And we think that's worth celebrating because we've got some cake in the in the refrigerator. Right? Um, we find all kinds of reasons to eat and to celebrate because we like cake. But I've now made you a cake, Estelle. Okay? So if you want to come up here and partake of it, you can. It has all the ingredients that a cake needs right it has the cake mix and it has some eggs in it and it has the oil and it has the water so i have you a cake right no it's almost a cake right almost almost a cake but it is not the cake no matter how well i dress it up no matter how many times i try to tell you and convince you this is a cake you know good and well, just like I do. It's not a cake. It has all the parts that needs to be a cake, but it's not a cake. It's almost a cake, but it's not a cake. Almost doesn't make something so. Almost doesn't make something so. And there's a lot of us that are living in a place of almost. I was almost obedient to what God called me to do. I almost gave and sacrificed what He called me to give and to sacrifice. I almost went where He wanted me to. I almost committed to my church. I almost was faithful to my body of believers. I almost said yes when God asked me to do something. I almost testified when He laid it upon my heart. I almost told that person about Jesus. I almost did that thing that I knew that I needed to do. I almost used my gift for the glory of God. I almost raised my hand. I almost worshipped Him. I almost sang His praises. I almost followed the instructions that we've been given in His Word. I, I almost moved up to what the preacher brought last Sunday. I almost took it to heart. I almost did something about it. I almost raised my family in church. I almost taught my children it was important. I almost showed how important God was to the people around me. I almost did those things. And we live in an almost kind of world. And an almost mentality as Christians too often. And so many of us, and it's sad to say in the world, are very similar to Agrippa. And they say, I almost accepted the gift of salvation. I almost did that thing, but almost is not the same as doing it. And almost cake is not the same as a cake. We have to complete it, to finish it, to do it, to actually go about the process of doing what it is and not just saying I almost did it. We can say I almost did a lot of things in life. I almost did well with my health. I almost decided to make better decisions. I almost decided to change these things. But if we don't do them, almost means it's just about as good as not even doing it at all. Not even doing it at all because the end result is the same. 
See, the thing is, God doesn't want your almost. Your almost does nothing good for Him, for the church, for your family, for yourself. It helps nobody to almost do something. Good intentions might sound great when you're given a gift, but good intentions don't get anybody to heaven. Good intentions don't tell anybody the truth. Good intentions don't bring about change. Almost doesn't, isn't what God wants. He wants it all together. It's what Paul says. And here's the thing. We are to emulate Christ. And Christ is not the almost God. He doesn't almost heal us. The Bible doesn't say by His stripes we are almost healed. It says by His stripes we are healed. We are almost forgiven. He says if you are faithful and just to, to confess your sins, I'm not faithful and just to almost forgive them. I'm faithful and just to forgive them. Amen. He's not an almost kind of God. He doesn't almost deliver you from that thing. He, he doesn't almost give you joy. He doesn't almost give you peace. He doesn't almost show up when you need Him. He does it. And He completes it. Just as He was on the cross, He didn't say, I almost made it fall. To take me now. He said, it is finished. Right. It is finished. He didn't almost finish it. Finish it. He finished Amen. it. Thank you, Jesus. We don't serve a God of almost. We serve a God that completes it, that finishes it, and takes it to the place that it needs to be. And we, as we walk in His footsteps and follow in His footsteps as His disciples, should do the same. We don't need to be the church that almost had revival. We don't need to be the church that almost changed our community. We don't need the church that almost had people get saved or almost saw God move or almost worked in the youth or almost did this. We should be the church that does that. We shouldn't be the family that almost held it together. The couple that almost made it, the, made it to completion. The, the family that almost praised the Lord or almost worshipped the Lord or almost was an example. We should be the ones that are the example. Amen. That do show the world what a family of God looks like. Imperfect as it may be, we are following in His footsteps. Not almost, but to completion. We do not serve an almost God. We should not be an almost people. We should be the ones that give us, as Paul says, altogether persuaded. Altogether convinced. Almost does nobody any good. That's right. And it never will. It never will. So we don't need to just lean back on almost. I wasn't almost a good person. I wasn't almost a Christian. It's almost doesn't get anywhere. We are either all together or we are not. We are not. Here's the thing. What's stopping you? What's holding you back? Agrippa was almost persuaded by Paul's message, but something held him back. What is stopping you from fully surrendering to what God has called out to you about? Whether it's salvation, what's stopping you from coming to the altar and and crying out to the Lord to to save your soul and admitting that you are sinful and that you are broken and that you have all kinds of issues and problems and and that you need Him to, to work in your life and to save you? What's stopping you from doing that? What's stopping you from from being faithful to to maybe your family or being faithful to your church or being faithful to God? What's stopping you? What's stopping you from doing the things that He's called you to do, to stepping out of your comfort zone and and doing the work of God that He has put upon your life? What is stopping you? Sometimes it's doubt that stops us. 
Sometimes we wonder, is it really God that I'm hearing? Sometimes we wonder, what happens when I step out? When I do it? When I walk in that place? There's that doubt. There's fear sometimes. It won't end well. Look at Agrippa and Paul here, right? Agrippa goes and, and he says, Paul, you've almost persuaded me. And this is Paul's response. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all that hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. No doubt Agrippa looked down from his seat of power. With all his freedom, with all his splendor, with all his riches and authority, and sees Paul in chains. And says, man, if, if I make that step, well... Will I end up in the same place that he is? I'm free and he's not. I can do what I want and he can't. Is that the life that I want? But what Griffith didn't realize is that the one that was in change was more free than the one that sat up on the seat of power there in that place that day. That Agrippa was more bound than Paul was in this season of their lives. But we look at the situation, we look at whatever God is calling us into, and and there is something that, that stops us, that hinders us, from making that final step from going from almost to altogether. And we have to realize what that is. Sometimes it's very clear to us. Sometimes we can listen to the conversations we have with ourselves or other people about these things, and we can be very we can understand very clearly this is what's stopping me. Sometimes we have to get honest with God and let the Holy Spirit reveal it to us. Because maybe it's something that's been ingrained within us from childhood. Maybe it's some, some kind of fear or doubt that the enemy has just fostered and, and just watered in your life since that one thing happened and, and you just can't get past it. But there is something that is stopping us, stopping you, stopping each and every one of us from doing what God has called us to do, from being almost to altogether. Amen. What is it that's stopping you? What is holding you back? <coughs> we use excuses. There's a song. And I don't know, it's been forever since I've heard some. I can't remember even who sings it. But it's excuses, excuses. We use them every day. Something about the devil will give them just to lead you astray or something like that, right? And that we do, we use these excuses. Maybe it's excuses that other people have spoken into our lives. Maybe it's excuses of, of us um, being ignorant of some truth of the gospel. Maybe it's just excuses that come from a place of doubt and fear and concern and worry and all these things. But the enemy will provide excuses that will stop you and hinder you from doing what it is, from going from the place of almost to the being the place of altogether, and that's what he wants to do. We oftentimes view that Satan as this big bad guy with horns and a and a pitchfork and a tail and all this stuff, it's going to be obvious and clear what he's trying to do. Just as we said last week in Sunday school and as we're saying today, the enemy just wants to change the little things and hinder the little things in your life, knowing that that's going to have the bigger effect than him showing up in big, bad, and bold letters. Right? And the enemy uses the little things to stop you and to hinder you from doing what it is that God wants you to, from going to a place of almost to a place of altogether. Amen. It's of almost to altogether. But we have to ask yourself, what's holding me back? What's holding you back? What's holding your family back? What's holding our church back? What's holding whatever it is in your life, whatever role you feel, what's holding you back from doing what it is that God has called you to do? And no doubt, Paul looks at Agrippa as he makes this last final plea, right? 
After this, it says that Agrippa and Festus and Agrippa's wife, they get up and they go over to the side and they, they begin to talk. And, and Agrippa says, man, if he hadn't have already pled for Caesar, we should just set this man free. We should just let him go back because there's nothing that he has done wrong. And for all we know, we don't know what happened in Agrippa's life. Did he get another chance? We don't know. I don't know. But he was almost persuaded in this moment to do what God was calling out for him to do. To embrace salvation. But don't limit it to solely salvation. If God's calling for you to be saved this morning, I, I implore you to come and, and pray and, and invite Him into your life. Don't just be almost persuaded. But in any area of our life, we can be almost persuaded to do something and back down at the last minute, not go and follow through with it, not, as we talked about last week, not be consistent in it and give up before we see the reward that God has in store. That is the end result that he desires for the situation. But what is stopping you? The reality is, as Christians, as followers of Christ, there should be nothing that stops us from doing the work of God in this world. There is no mountain too big, nothing too great, nothing too strong, nothing too powerful in this world that should stop us from doing the work of God. In Paul's life, he was thrown into prison and he continued to minister to the church. He was threatened with death and he continued to minister to the church. He was stoned and cast out of the city and got back up and continued to minister to the church. But what's stopping you? What is keeping you from doing that thing that you know you're supposed to? Witnessing to that person, singing that song, raising your hand, worshiping God in the way that He wants you to, following through with the call that He's placed on your life, just being obedient in the little things, coming consistently and faithfully, committing your whole life to Him instead of just a small portion to Him. What is stopping you from taking that next step from almost to altogether? I pray that the Holy Spirit reveals that thing to you, reveals that truth to you, and that you don't just become complacent and say, well, I'm okay leaving that there where it's at, but that you remove that hindrance, that stumbling block, that thing that's stopping you, and you pursue on, and you're persuaded that it's worth it to do what He's asked us to do. That it's worth it to be at church, to serve, to be obedient, to give, to talk about Jesus, to witness about Jesus, to testify, whatever it may be, that you realize and you're persuaded that it's worth it and you're persuaded that this is what God wants you to do for your life. And that you do it. Not just almost do it, but that you do the thing that God has called you to do. Um, It's not an easy road to walk. Um, We see, as Paul's example, that he ended up in chains. However, we know that Paul was free. He was freed from the chains of this world, freed by the salvation that Christ gave. We too can claim that as well. But are you in a place of almost, or are you in a a place of altogether? And if you're not, what's stopping you from taking that, that next step? Amen.